continuing on with our series on King David's life. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 26. The Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakilah, which faces Jezebel? So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph and with 3,000 select Israelite troops to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakilah facing Jezebel, but David stayed in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out clouds and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. He sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Nair, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army camped around him. David then asked Hamelech the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zeruah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has given your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come Holy Spirit, lead us again. I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Amen. The spear, the spear is right there. It's right there. One thrust and all of David's troubles with Saul, all of the pain and hardship and threats go away. And David has outside encouragement to do just that. In last week's sermon, we had Abigail trying to calm David down after David became angry with Nabal for Nabal's nastiness and that works in that, in that story. This week, we have Abishai trying to fire David up to take down Saul for Saul's nastiness. Abishai says to David, today God has given your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. Abishai offers to do the deed and Abishai offers David a spiritual reason to do it. He essentially says to David, look, God's given us this shot. Let's take it. I wonder 
I wonder how many seconds passed before David said to Abishai, don't. I mean, if you had the shot and you were David, would you have taken it? If your friend offered to do that deed on your behalf, would you have said, do it? What would, what would we have done? I mean, you have the chance to neutralize, to wipe out your worst antagonist. We had Nabal last week. That was sort of a one-shot deal, a bad encounter. David tries to reach out to Nabal in that story. Nabal meanly rejects him. David gets fired up. Abigail calms David down. David relents from his sudden bloodlust. That's one thing. It, it happens so fast. But here, there's a history, there's a story. They got bad blood between them. Saul has an established pattern of resisting God's will, being crazy, behaving threateningly, tried to threw a spear at David. What in the world would make David say no to taking this guy out? What in the world would make us restrain ourselves from hitting back violently against our enemies, especially when our comrade wants to help us do it or wants to do it for us? What in the world would lead us to say no to that? Well, our text's answer is clear. It's nothing in the world that leads David to say no to that. It's God. It's God who leads David to tell Abishai, don't. Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, David said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish, but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Four times, four times in verses 9, 10, and 11, four times in three verses, the Lord is named. It sounds like David took to heart Abigail's words in the previous story when she urged him to stand down from attacking Nabal and invoked God in doing so. Chill out, God's got you, essentially was her word to him in a nutshell. Now David takes Abigail's call to trust God and he speaks the same idea to Abishai. Heeding good, godly counsel given to us when we heed that and live that and experience that, it enables us to speak that same good godly counsel toward others when they are tempting us. The intervention Abigail offered to David now reverberates into this moment of ultimate temptation for David so that David, who was urged by Abigail to stand down, now tells his friend Abishai to stand down. But this is no mere virtue ethics. This is not about David being his best self. <laughs> I mean, it, isn't, it, it, is, it is that to a degree, but it's not primarily that. This is about 
God. And here's the thing. It's one thing to see God's godness within your own process of self-restraint, right? This is what happened in the previous chapter with David restraining himself with Abigail's help against hitting Nabal back for being nasty to him. It's a whole other level when David takes that message of de-escalation and self-restraint in his own self and then speaks it to a friend who is inviting him to cut loose the task of self-restraint compounded by the task of restraining others trying to undermine your self-restraint. And to make this even more challenging for David, Abishai, as I said, has a theological logic for David being unrestrained here. Basically, he's saying, cut loose, bro. God's given us this guy. How do you resist when your friend gives you the theological rationale to cut loose and take your, rash, take your antagonist down? That person who hit you so hard or that thing that is so threatening with that group or this issue or whatever. And you don't even have to hit them. I'll hit them for you, your friend is saying. But David says, don't. And again, it wasn't about being simply a better person. It was about being God's person. Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, as surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him. God is living and alive and present at the center. This is not just a battle between an older king and a newer king. That is really not the center of the story here. There is a living God. This is Pentecost Sunday where we celebrate the dynamic, energizing, mighty power of the Holy Spirit. God in his spirit is alive and present in every conflict, in the midst of every struggle, in between you and me and any and all antagonists we could ever, ever face. David sees this. He sees this with the help of his friend, now his wife in our story, Abigail. He sees that even with this awful battle in this story, it sits within a bigger story. And the center of that story is God. David got it when Abigail conveyed that to him. And so now he can correct Abishai. Because when we really inhabit the story of which God is the center, that means we don't take people out on God's behalf. We trust God on people's behalf. Now, just as Abigail stood as the mediator between David and Nabal, now David stands as the mediator between Abishai and Saul. Imagine that. Imagine standing between your antagonist and your friend who wants to take down your antagonist on your behalf. Turns out it's Jesus Christ himself as the mediator who's standing between us and any and all of our worst antagonists. You name it, 
any antagonist, any evil that befalls us, befalls us, any person who is hard or brutal to us. Jesus is there between us and them, mediating, present. And he's done that once and for all at the cross, taking the worst that those antagonists can put out, even the antagonists that will attack our bodies someday, right? That we fight with the best medicines, right? Even the emotional antagonists of anxiety and whatever that we may fight, he's there, he's between us and our antagonists saying, trust me, trust me, trust me no matter what, trust me. Now, David knows what he's dealing with in Saul, just like Abigail knew what she was dealing with in her difficult husband, Nabal. David isn't lovey-dovey with Saul, it's just that David trusts Saul into the hands of the God he loves. He gets to this point because he's able to see this situation within the bigger story of God's faithfulness. So when we're tempted to hit back against our antagonists or we're tempted to let our friends do it for us, here is a call to pause and remember the bigger story. The story that Abigail called David to remember, the story that David calls Abishai to remember, and it's this, God's got this. God is faithful. We don't have to do verbal violence to our enemy, attack them, use the vitriol of the worst of culture to get a hand up. We don't have to do violence to our systems and our culture to get our way, to get our hand up, we can tr- to get a leg up. We can trust God, because God's at the center. You don't have to do such dirty work. God's got you. Now this doesn't mean we're passive, if you push a little further into this chapter, David doesn't kill Saul, but he does confront him. In the very next scene, Saul confronts, or David confronts Saul from a safe distance. He calls out to him, calls out to his guy Abner, who's kind of like Saul's Abishai, right? Saul's number two. And then he talks to Saul after Saul realizes David's calling out to him. And in a respectful, direct way, David confronts him. So again, there is a middle ground between taking somebody out and and being passive. It's a confrontation. And look what happens. The confrontation is very respectful and direct. This is in verse 18. If you read further in the passage, David basically says to Saul, dude, why are you chasing me? What did I ever do to you? And then David does something really interesting. And it won't surprise you, given what we've been talking about. He puts God immediately at the center of the whole thing. Listen, David says to Saul in the very next verse, he says, if the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. So he's saying, look, if if God has told you to do this, let's worship God and figure this out. If, however, David says, people have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. So David confronts his adversary rather than killing him. But when he does it, he puts the God who kept him from killing him at the center. David is saying one way or another, let's bring this to God. David declares to Saul when he corners him, the Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So he's saying, 
you're God's anointed. You have value. I imagine saying that to your adversary. As surely as I value your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. It's as if David can't stop talking about the Lord here. He does it in a very savvy way with Saul, calling him to treat him like he just treated Saul. But the confrontation with his antagonist becomes like a kind of evangelism. Imagine that. Imagine if our confrontations with our antagonists, if instead of exploiting our power over them, we evangelize them in God's power. That is what David really does with Saul here. The guy who was told by Abigail, God's got this. The one who told his buddy Abishai, basically, stand down, God's got this, now tells his antagonist, God's got you, and God's got me too. David says a few more things. And then Saul, wait for it, repents. He admits he sinned, at least for the moment. And then David gives Saul back his spear that he took. And then David leaves Saul and listen to what he leaves him with. It's a kind of blessing. Verse 23, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I value your life today, may the Lord value my life. So he brings him in to a center. He brings his antagonist into a center on God. It's like they have a little worship service at the end. So they go from a confrontation to really a time of upward honoring the presence of God. Imagine if God's people did that. God's people do that when we're at our best. When we're at our worst, we're looking at that spear going, oh, what can I do to get an upper hand in this situation? Instead of trusting the God who has the upper hand forever and ever. David sees the past and the present and the future as surrounded by God and God's faithfulness. Listen, the Lord rewards, that's present. The Lord delivered you, that's past. And may the Lord value my life and deliver me, that's future. Whatever else is the reality for David right now, and there's a lot, and it's not over yet, but he doesn't limit that reality to the obstacles in front of him real and dangerous and frustrating as they all are. And they all are for you and for me. We all know that. We got real stuff in a real world. But we have a real God. David gets this in this moment. And despite the push of his guy, Abishai, he will not allow a strictly political narrative, a narrative driven by uh, a way to get the political upper hand in the most devastating way, he won't let that take over. He keeps God at the center and that's what keeps him focused. We are celebrating Pentecost. We have not just a God we can look to at the center, we have a God who empowers us there in every way, intimately coming to dwell with us. Paul says the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit who gave the early church language to speak out and reach people in their own language, the fruits of that Spirit, love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. This is the habitat of the Holy Spirit in the face of our adversaries. Again, it doesn't mean we don't confront. David does that here. But look at what happens when he does in a way that centers on the Lord who loves him and has got him. Who is your antagonist right now? Internally, externally, what battles are you fighting? Last week, Abigail helped David. This week, David helps Abishai. I wonder where in our lives we have an Abishai who we need to tell to stand down. Let me tell you about the God who's got this. And I wonder who and where in our lives there's an adversary or an antagonist who we need to evangelize in the spirit and say, okay, let's talk. What is going on here? Why are you doing this? And let's, and let's seek God together in it. God doesn't just tell us what to do or to be a better person. He empowers us. He empowers us to do it through his Holy Spirit. That is Pentecost. May, may we be empowered by the spirit of Pentecost as we live into these holy confrontations that they may be holy ground of self-restraint where God is glorified and trusted. May it be so for you and for me too. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen, amen.